Welcome to the Draft Deeper Podcast. This is your host, Nathan Grubel. Joining me as always is my producer, Kevin Black. And I'm doing a little bit of double duty this week. One of two special guests that I'm recording with tonight. You'll find both of these episodes in your podcast feeds a little bit later on in the week here. But my first guest that I'm recording with tonight on June 8th, you know him as an Emmy winner. You know him as the founder of Nick's blog. You know him as an SNY contributor. Listen, if you follow the New York Knicks, you know exactly who I'm talking to tonight. Already did no ceilings a favor and gave Corey and Albert over on the draft act one hell of a show a few months ago. Now I get to have him on my podcast. I'm so excited to be talking to Tommy D tonight. Tommy, what's going on, brother? Nathan, uh, Kevin, great to be with you. Very kind of you to say. Um, it feels like a lifetime ago that I, you know, was really focusing and doing a ton on the Knicks, but um, I, because of Twitter, you know, and, and social media, of course, um, you know, it sort of stuck with me, which is great. So uh, really excited. Love what you're doing with, uh, with No Ceilings and, and Draft Deeper. And like you said, you know, Albert and Corey, we had a really good chat. I'm um, looking forward to this one for sure. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. So we're, we're going to do a little bit of light Knicks talk. Really, the main reason why I wanted to have Tommy on was he's going to give some tremendous insight into a draft prospect who's been divisive, I think, a little bit in the scouting community, to say the least. That would be A.J. Griffin. So this will be definitely a follow-up to the Draft Act podcast episode that I mentioned. And then we'll, we'll finish things off. Maybe we'll do a little bit of light top five conversation. We'll see where this podcast takes us, but Tommy, just really quickly for my audience, for whatever reason, in case they are big Knicks fans, they didn't follow some of your previous work as to where you are now. Why don't you just give a little bit of your background and, and, and your story um, working in basketball and doing some of the things that you do? Oh, absolutely. Um, you know, day-to-day, -day, uh, you know, normal job is in uh, sort of, you know, the, this whole digital world and, and strategy and while working, uh, working with businesses to, uh, to sort of optimize their approach. But what I've been able to do um, through not only uh, digital, but also some, some television work and work with the NBA and, and certainly with SNY, um, just been able to connect with uh, some great people around the NBA, uh, now sort of into Europe as well. Um, started uh, Modern NBA, uh, which sort of my own um, foray into sort of a middle of the road analytic analytics meets, um, uh, you know, sort of a professionally trained scouting eye. I, I learned under the NBA's director of scouting, Ryan Blake, uh, did some stuff for the NBA for 10 years and uh, started working on this whole kind of side project and building out some some really cool stuff, and um, it's it started to catch some uh, some real momentum here, and it's uh, it's really exciting because um, I just love the game. Going back to when I you know played in high school, had a chance to play in college, but ended up playing another sport. Got back into coaching, and you know sort of um, <laughs> learned pretty quickly that I wanted to sort of go down a different path, uh, which got me into media, and then I realized I wanted to go into it definitely a different path, uh, um, <laughs> which, which is where I got into scouting and evaluating and, um, you know, now uh, uh, consulting and, and helping out front offices 
um, you know, with some decision making and um, things like that. So it's been a great ride and uh, I'm, I'm just getting started, I feel like. So it's uh, it's really exciting. Well, you know, scouting's our jam over here in those ceilings and I especially do. the Draft Deeper podcast. So you're you're welcome at home, my friend. And that's why I'm so excited to have you on. So I mentioned we touch very lightly on some New York Knicks stuff. I've been trying to cover some of the lottery teams on the Draft Deeper podcast feed over the last few weeks. Um, Tommy, I know that you, 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 at the very least, you follow the Knicks situation and, and what's going on. What are some of your big picture takeaways on where the Knicks are at right now? And where do you think they could kind of look to target in the draft with the 11th pick? Yeah, for sure. So the, the first piece to that is, you know, coming off what I think a lot of people will recognize as a surprise season, you know, the fourth seed, um, you know, making the playoffs, playing what I thought was really um, solid and strong sort of mo more modern offense under Tom Thib Thibodeau, which uh, a lot of people had questions sort of coming in. Um, obviously, it was a different type of year with pandemic and um, mm. no fans and, and, and all that. So, you know, this year, I, I think teams in the conference got better. I don't think the Knicks, um, from a roster perspective, Obviously, Walker, that didn't work out. Um, you know, they they lost Alfred Payton. Um, a lot of people couldn't wait to get him to the airport. Um, <laughs> but you know, that, that point guard that point guard situation, um, you know, did not uh, did not fix itself after that decision. And, and to me, they relied so much on Derrick Rose. And you know, when you talk about sort of risk mitigation and you know things like that when you're when you're so dependent on a player who's had so many injuries it's very difficult to um you know to to have consistent success because that player is not always going to be in the lineup of course you know and then you're leaning on julius randall who to me, in my opinion just watching that i went to a game very early on in the season because it was against the raptors a really feisty you know long versatile raptors team that um did their homework on Randall. And I feel like that was the game. Um, Nick Nurse, obviously, and his staff do a tremendous job. That I felt like that was the game where the league sort of took a snapshot or, or that scouting tape of what Julius Randall's weaknesses were and, um, you know, sort of got spread around and, you know, became a copycat league on how to defend him. And, um, you know, he really struggled throughout the course of this year. And, you know, that to me is not the worst sign in the world. His contract is not atrocious. I, he's, he is tradable. I, I, I've talked to some teams around the league that have interest in him. So, you know, th there is a possibility, you know, that they can probably move on from Randall if they'd like. Um, the question then becomes sort of, you know, who's your centerpiece? And if it's me, you know, if you have the, the time and maybe you bought another year based off of last year, I don't know if this is true, but um, you may be able to make the case that you'd really like to build around RJ Barrett. I would, yep. uh, I would, I would continue to have him be the primary facilitator. You know, I think they talk a lot about lack of point guards, but I think um, complementary guards who can, who can really live off of what he does in terms of getting into the lane whenever he wants, in terms of getting his shot off whenever he wants. He's 21 years old. He defends three, sometimes four positions. He can knock down the shot now. I think he's a star. I think he's, you know, what Jason Tatum, maybe not as good as Tatum, but I think he, he, he has that, 
type of trajectory where in a year or two years, as they start to enter the playoffs more and more, people are going to say, you know, is, is he ready to take that all NBA leap? Um, you know, so I would continue to support whatever, whatever he's doing, whatever he's about, because it's certainly wor working out for Boston right now. Certainly has always been talked about as an incredibly hard worker, both on and off the court. RJ Barrett at one time was the projected number one pick coming into that draft before the whole Zion Williamson explosion started. Um, certainly one of Canada's brightest young basketball stars. And I, I would agree with you. I think there, RJ still has plenty more to tap into in terms of potential. And I think you really have to, the only way you're going to find out what exactly he still has in terms of potential is continuing to build around him, putting the ball in his hands and letting him be the primary de facto decision maker. Cause he's kind of been in a weird spot with this Knicks team over the last few years where he's had the ball in his hands or he's, he's gotten more opportunities to have the ball in his hands, but it hasn't really been like quote unquote his role, right? Like he's still kind of been like an off ball player and that's not taking to a lot of the strengths that he brings to the table as one of these bigger wing initiators. So I would agree with you hundred percent. I want to see, how they continue to build around him and what, what that looks like is, is Emmanuel quickly in, in more of the fold is one of the guards next to RJ Barrett. Um, does Deuce McBride continue to grow in his role and get some minutes? Is, is there another answer at the guard spot that the Knicks could go to in this draft or another bigger wing next to RJ Barrett? Is that where they go in this draft? I know for certain, I think a lot of Knicks fans yourself included, Tommy, would be incredibly happy if one A.J. Griffin fell to the New York Knicks <laughs> at number 11. And that's that's really the centerpiece and, and what the bulk of we wanted to talk about tonight was, was Mr. A.J. Griffin. And you have a backstory in watching A.J. play personally and kind of seeing some of his development along the way from high school until now, Tommy. So why don't you enlighten the audience about the experience you have in evaluating A.J. Griffin and kind of where you're at on, on his game right now, break some things down a little bit. Yeah, I do. Thank you. Uh, the, the background there is uh, he played along with RJ Davis and a couple of other names that you'll probably hear uh, over the next couple of years, Boogie Flan being one uh, who's a, a great prospect uh, point guard prospect. Who's a junior um, talking about uh, Archbishop Stepanak High School in White yep. Plains, head coach Pat Masseroni, who's a very, very good friend of mine. Um, you know, just a, uh, a great program, uh, nationally ranked program now. And um, Danny Carbuccia is another guard who's a sophomore. They, they've talked about that group as the best back, backcourt combo since uh, Khalid Reeves and Derek Phelps, he Christ the King a long time ago, mainly because they didn't put AJ in the backcourt um, uh, <laughs> when he played with RJ. But um, I can say this about RJ, uh, about AJ rather. Um, incredible human, incredible young man, uh, great family, um, hard worker, you know, just want the thirst and the, the want to be great is there. Um, Probably a, a top five, I don't say probably, I would say without question, a top five pick when he was 15. Uh, if I were general manager, I would at any NBA team, I would have tried to change the rules so that I could draft him at 15. Um, he would at 15 years old, not, not, not slot 15. He was, uh, you know, 6'6", six, six, you know, 215, 220, um, not an ounce of fat incredibly gifted all around and you know probably the fourth option on that team 
that team had uh, uh, four Division One players, and uh, they ended up winning the New York State Federation Championship for the first time in a very, very long time. And he was, he, to me, as he's evolved, and he did so this year at Duke, you know, being that third or fourth option suits him really, really well. And when you need him to sort of step forward and do a little bit more, he can. But I just love the fact that he doesn't need the basketball to make winning plays for your team. He's the perfect pair with every player that you have. He's played with a, you know, sort of a high volume, you know, uh, guard uh, in RJ in high school. And, you know, when he was not in the lineup, they struggled to win games. They played a very competitive schedule. When he was in the lineup, they won. And that tells me about impact for sure. Um, you know, I think this year at Duke, what you saw was uh, sort of an older um, offense in terms of scheme. A yep. lot of Paolo mid post, uh, a lot of, you know, sort of short corner, um, you know, Williams and not optimal space. So, you know, he sort of had to try to find his own. He can stretch you out from length to 35 feet without question. We've seen his three point shooting ability, but he is a driver when there's, when there's space. And I don't think, um, I don't think there was optimal space in this Duke lineup this year. Uh, and they still, you know, managed to make it to the final four. So, and he did put log a lot of minutes and, you know, as a freshman, you know, a lot, a lot were lumped on their shoulders. Coach K's last year certainly uh, had an impact. Um, but I think whatever team gets AJ is going to get a player who's going to be in the league for a very long time. And every single player that plays with him is going to love playing with him because he's a complimentary guy with, dominant skills if, if he needs to be. So if he's in the right situation and you don't have to worry about him, you know, saying bust, 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 um, <laughs> you let him, you let him settle in. He's eight, he's not even 19. Um, you know, so you let him settle in and you're talking four or five years from now, he's, I think this guy is the absolute limit and whatever, whatever team he's on is going to be successful. I, I have no doubt about that. Before we touch on some of my evaluation. Um, of AJ's game. I, I want to ask you, and uh, I think you're going to bring great clarity to, to the question I'm about to ask you, Tommy. And you even referenced, uh, you referenced COVID when you were talking about the Knicks, but let, let alone the fact that that also has played a part in the development uh, of young basketball players over the last few years. We also have to take into account that AJ suffered multiple injuries in high school. And when you aren't on the court, playing the game and being able to develop that way. It's really hard at, at certain points to be a freshman in college at a high major program. And all of a sudden you're sort of in a position where you, you, you might feel a little bit of pressure to play catch up in terms of your, your understanding and your processing of what's actually going on, on, on both ends of the court. And he even alluded to some of that when he sat down and did his, his video breakdown interview with, with Mike Schmitz, he talked about some of that as well, but is it, is it a little unfair that AJ has dropped down in certain circles when you take into account, A, the fact that he is one of the youngest players in this draft, but also the fact that he hasn't had the same developmental time as some of these other guys. And you look at it like, yeah, he might be behind in certain areas right now, but because of what he went through and because he can still continue to grow once he gets to the NBA, that we might look back like two years from now and we're just like, holy smokes, all he really needed was more time. The talent was always there. A lot of people overthought this. Yeah, and I think by nature and just in terms of how content 
it's how much content is out there and how much content needs to be put out there. Um, and by the way, not anyone <laughs> close has, in my opinion, the quality overall as you guys do. Um, I mean that sincerely, you know, it's, it's very easy to, um, I think it's very easy to try to get shock value and, you know, put a lot of stuff out there that, you know, may not have the right context. You guys do an amazing job. Um, so I think there is the unfit, the unfair piece to answer your question is that they have to, you have to look for something apparently to, um, be critical of and people who are looking back to his high school days and talking about injuries doesn't to me doesn't really I don't think it's fair you know if your kid was 15 years old and he was a surefire lottery pick <laughs> and he had to wait three years you'd probably put him in bubble wrap right <laughs> like you, you would probably tell him he couldn't leave the house so you know we're talking about tens of millions of dollars yeah so you know I, I think I don't think people I think people who talk about pe other people for a living don't always put that into perspective properly. Yep. Um, these are people, these are not just prospects. So, and they have families and they have a future. And, um, you know, when people say, oh, I don't see AJ's lift anymore. And I don't see his, you know, his base is way, way wide on his three point shot. And I think it's just being, you know, uh, finding, you know, critiques for the sake of critique. It's why he is, you know, perhaps not going number one, but if, if he's in between, in my mind, you know, three and 10, then, you know, when you factor in positions and needs, you know, you've got Smith and you've got Holmgren, you've got Palo, you've got Ivy, you know, I think Keegan Murray is extraordinary. I think he's going to be a star. Um, you know, Matherin is terrific. Daniels, you know, I think he's right in a, a, a good spot um, yep. you know, with being mentioned by, with all those guys. The problem is I don't think AJ, I think AJ is positionless. Obviously I don't think he can play center. I think he can guard some centers. I think he could do what Draymond does sometimes, but I think, um, I, I think he's just so good as a connector, which is a buzz term that, you know, a lot of people talk about, but in the league, it's, it's, it's the guy who, doesn't have the ball stick to him that can move the ball from right to left, you know, and, and uh, just be a really, you know, a piece that sort of bridges the gap between the bigs and the smalls. Um, he is that type. And uh, I think he's as good as anybody as I've seen at it um, since I've been doing this. And it's not just because I've seen him and it's not just because I think he's a great kid and young man. Uh, I truly believe that, you know, he's, um, he just has this ability to, uh, to make everybody around him better. Uh, and he doesn't need to dominate the ball, which, which is a, a, just an incredible quality. So the defense notwithstanding, we can certainly touch on the offense first, because it's obviously the most important part of the sell on, on AJ Griffin as a prospect. I, I like that you defined him as a connector because from what I've seen on tape, from what the numbers would bear out, I don't know how much of a quote unquote creator he is for others, but in terms of somebody who can keep the ball moving and make the right play once he gets the ball in his hands, um, a, a very good one decision maker. You know, if he's getting the ball with an easy opportunity to catch and shoot or catch and drive, generally something good's going to happen when, when he's in those situations, right? The numbers would certainly bear that out. I mean, I, I could read you all the different synergy percentiles in terms of how high he ranks 
in certain play types, finished the year in the 98th percentile in, in, in terms of total offense, which is ridiculous when you factor mm-hmm. in where he started the year, right? He wasn't part of the starting mm-hmm. lineup. He was still working his way back in, coming off the bench. Then he became a starter and ended up in multiple big games, Duke's most efficient offensive player, which is really, Tommy, That that's yep. – I, I struggle – wrapping my head around his evaluation at times because there are moments where like I said as soon as he gets the ball in his hands he'll go to one of those catch and rip drives and he'll be able to stop in the paint turn and and pop himself up and he hits one of these incredible jump shots where he just seems like he's floating in the air for forever and my god man it reminds me of Jimmy Butler like that's the type of player that that he reminds yeah. me of in certain moments and oh by the way He's hitting shots that Jimmy Butler has struggled to hit his entire career when we throw in how efficient of a catch-and-shoot guy he's been from three-point range. Like, I know he's not the most traditional do-it-all wing prospect that I think everybody would love for him to be. Does he need to be that guy, though, because he's so good at what he knows how to do? I don't think, you know, and, and you're talking to someone who uh, scouted Jimmy at Portsmouth and nobody in the room there thought he was a first round pick. Um, and you, that guy scratched and clawed his way into the first round. He was MVP down there. Um, Buzz Williams was going around to telling everybody in any front office who would listen how good this kid was. Um, and, you know, and none of the draft boards had him in first, you know, I remember Gavoni was down there and couple other guys and you know they were just not in their head no 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 and um you know it was an age thing and it was that's not aj's problem but i don't know i i don't love the the butler comparison 100 percent because he does i'm not sure he has that um you know jimmy has a different feel inside of him in terms of you know always being against the world um AJ, I'm more along the lines of just in terms of some of the shots that he's able to hit once he gets inside the arc. That, that's wise, more where my yeah, 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 totally. You know, and I mentioned Draymond, and and I, I just mean that from a connector perspective and how we can guard. But I, I get what you're saying, and and I like that piece of it because um, Jimmy did struggle and he got better at it over time. Um, and AJ does a lot of that stuff naturally. I mean, look at the game that he had against North Carolina. Um, look at the game that he had at Louisville, you know, I mean, he was five for five from three against Louisville and he took 13 shots and had 22. And that was a rough game. Like that was a game, um, you know, they were, it was the third game of a, you know, three game road stretch where they were at Carolina at, uh, Notre Dame and then at Louisville, right. Louisville wasn't, we're not talking about national championship caliber team here, but playing a, you know, January game down in Louisville is not an easy task. And he played, he was their best player. And I think that's where he really started to um, get the trust from his teammates and, and say like, this kid can make some big shots. The thing with him is his three pointer will always be there. And his, his, his range will always be there, which means space. I would and agree with he, that. When he gets space, um, he'll be able to then attack closeouts and he can attack closeouts one or two dribbles from that spot and elevate and finish uh, or make the right play, you know, and, and kick out or lob or whatever it is. Um, you know, if he is, if you're relying on him to be your dribble drive guy, like, like he's not RJ Barrett, right. At that mm-hmm. size, right. RJ's a big kid. 
and could just always get downhill and always at the basket in transition. I think AJ's fantastic in transition. RJ just has more point guard skills. Um, but that's not to say that AJ doesn't handle it well. I don't know if, you know, I just think the, the mistake people are making on him is trying to define him as, is he a shooting guard? Is he a small forward? Is he this? Is he that? And to me, he's a, he is a connector. He is someone who can play in any five-man lineup that you have, and it's going to be a positive, um, mainly because he's going to do what he does defensively. You're not going to get out-rebounded, and you're always, for the most part, going to get a good shot because he's going to make the right decision off the ball, and that's going to lead to a better decision on the next pass. So are you confident that we're going to look back probably two to three years from now and, and A.J. Griffin's going to be just fine defensively in the NBA because while there's a good portion of the tape, I go back and I watch and I'm, I'm a little frightened with what I see on the defensive end. However, I also go back and I tell myself, Tommy, at the same time, similar to the conversation that I wanted to bring up about five to 10 minutes ago, that he lost some of that developmental time and a big portion of playing defense is not just having the will to play hard and defend, which I certainly think AJ has. I mean, he shows it on the offensive and I think, he has that will to play the game at a high level on, on the defensive end as well. But it's also, there's a chemistry standpoint to it. There's an understanding of what's going on around you in the sense of working with others. And when he's having to come into a situation at Duke where he wasn't playing high level basketball for a while, now all of a sudden he has to come in and play and really get that cohesiveness down with a different group of teammates and just expect to, to put it together on the biggest stages at all times. Like, shit, I... <laughs> It, it, man, if, if I was thrown into a new situation in terms of like what I do for, for a living at my day job and I was expected to get everything perfect within my first year of being at the company, <laughs> man, like I, I'd, I'd find my ass somewhere out on the street. Like that's the analogy that I try to use with people when we expect perfection from some of these prospects. So I'm assuming that you're confident. Give, give him a few years to get adjusted, not only to the NBA level, but with the other teammates is eventually going to have around him and then we'll see better things from him on the defensive side of the ball. Yeah, I, I would, I would look at um, the first game that they played against Kentucky at the garden and then compare that to the game that he played against Arkansas and, or Texas tech uh, and even Carolina, like he didn't shoot it well that game, but he, you know, I thought defensively he was, he was okay. But I mean, it, it's, it's night and day. Yep. And I mean, he couldn't even, he wasn't even ready to be on the floor really in that first game against Kentucky. That was a, that was really a, um, I think an eye opener for him. Um, but I think to answer the question in two or three years, even I think maybe even sooner, only because of the amount of two man game that he's going to face, he is so big and wide that and switchable in any sort of, you know, one, four situation or one, three situation or small, small. Um, I don't think that he is going to be exploited in any, in any sort of mismatch, you know, unless he's guarding Trey young, <laughs> you know, or Curry <laughs> in, a, in sure. some sort of switch, but, um, or, you know, the, the guys who can really stretch it. I just think that um, he learned a lot this year about team defense. And by the way, you know, it's not like Paolo was a great defender. 
I think no. they, I think Mark Williams cleaned <laughs> up a lot from everybody. Um, you know, so my I, I one one of my no ceilings brethren last night when we were talking about Duke Tommy, he's like for when going back and watching some of that defensive tape, Mark Williams deserves a purple heart for for some of what <laughs> he did on the defensive end to clean up everything for everyone. And hopefully that equates into a top fifteen pick, right? Um, oh, I sure hope so. And I, I couldn't couldn't agree more. I mean, I think um, I think he was so good at that. You know, just cleaning up a lot of the mistakes. Um, you know, but if AJ ends up in Houston, right. I mean, that's, that's not, that's not going to be great. <laughs> if he ends up in, in Sacramento, even OKC, um, you know, there, there are just a lot of young players there and there's a lot of confusion on, you know, who's where the future is with these, you know, with who, and, um, you know, so he, he needs to be in a situation now of a team that's, you know, sort of on the, on the rebound and can just put him in a situation where he can, get paired with some vets and, uh, and learn from them and grow Indiana at six would be perfect. I even think Detroit wouldn't be terrible. Um, you know, Portland is, is a mess, you know, that's a, that's a very tricky situation. Well, no, come on, Tommy, nobody plays in Portland. (laughs) (laughs) They got to figure out playing, they got to figure out who's playing there. Um, you know, I think best case scenario for AJ would be, you know, Spurs at nine, Knicks at 11. Uh, I just think he's too good to get down there. I, I could see, you know, the Pacers, you know, being a really nice match for him at six. I I, I think there, there's been a decent amount of Indiana and Portland buzz in, in the no ceiling circles when we talk about where we would love to mock these guys. So I could see either of those being fits. I could see somebody snagging him a little bit later on. I, I don't think the New York fit would be bad. I, the San Antonio fits a, a really interesting one, Tommy, because I think it's a good situation. They, they have a nucleus in the sense of, I think we have an idea of a few of the players that are going to be there for the long term, where he can start building chemistry with those guys, but also, man, they just need people who can, who can shoot the basketball. Right. I mean, they have San Antonio's a number of guys who can drive at the basket and, and create something once they've gotten themselves downhill with a few dribbles, but they really don't have many guys who are legitimate catch and shoot threats. And if, I mean, if we're going to shout anything as a strength of AJ's, that's that's exactly what he is. He's immediately off the catch. He's shot ready. He's ready to go up with it. His shot preparation is some of the best in the draft class. So I mean, I I think the San Antonio no fit would be perfect. Are there any a, any other fits that that come to mind in terms of you would love to see AJ in that situation? No, I mean, listen, you know, you you put him with Murray right away. Murray's a star. Murray's probably the number one most underrated player in the NBA. In fact, you know, uh, that's probably will change here. Um, but he's gone under the radar for a good, you know, 24 months. Um, you know, uh, Vassal's one of those guys that, you know, everybody loved coming out as this three and D guy. I think he's still working his way to figure it out. But if you, if you plug, you know, AJ in for Doug McDermott's minutes, you know, McDermott played whatever, 20 something minutes a game you know, uh, started a bunch, um, you know, maybe, maybe that spot right there. I know they have Richardson, uh, coming from that Celtics trade, but, um, you know, I, I think there's a great opportunity for him to come in, uh, you know, right along those lines and just cement himself and solidify himself, um, you know, with, with that group, uh, Indiana, as I mentioned before, uh, you know, listen, Washington, you know, post Porzingis trade, 
um, is an interesting roster. I thought they were really headed in the right direction even before that trade. Um, it's just a very difficult city to play in. Um, you know, but I, I, I now you're starting to get into the teens and uh, I just don't see any scenario where he's, um, you know, he falls further than 11 uh, there where the Knicks are because, you know, he, he is represented by CAA. Uh, I do know that they, that they loved him and he's been in their backyard there, you know, at Stepanek for, uh, a few years, you know, and I know Alan's Alan Houston is very close with, uh, you know, the family and, and, um, you know, certainly a lot of connections there. Uh, and it wouldn't surprise me to see the Knicks move up. You know, we talked about maybe some of the things that they could do. Um, you know, maybe this is the type of draft where they get aggressive and, um, you know, maybe go after a Griffin or an Ivy or, Keegan Murray. Um, I don't know if Murray's the guy. I, I just think Murray's a terrific player. Talk, talk to me. Talk to me about Keegan Murray. Talk to me about what you love about him because he, yeah. Tommy, Tommy, he's, I'm telling you, these Big Ten players that everybody is currently trying to sleep on a little bit to an extent. I think Jane Ivey's, I, I, I think at this point, unless you're really that much in love with Shane Sharp, I think a lot of people have him number four. But Keegan Murray and Johnny Davis, for some reason, people, have just dropped those guys down their boards. I, I, for the life of me, can't figure out why. Everybody in those ceilings, all of us, we can't figure out why. They both rate out highly on our new composite board we just put out this week. Talk to me, especially about Keegan Murray and, and what you like from him and why why you think he can be a star in the league because we had no ceilings would agree with you. Uh, you know, when I evaluate, I tend to lean on my relationships, you know, from the coaching perspective. Uh, friend McCaffrey was Sienna. Uh, I, Iona, or rather Iowa. Um, it, it's a it's a different place. You mentioned the Big Ten. It's a different league. Um, you know, it, it's it's just uh, every you compete on every possession. And, um, you know, there's no airspace. Um, it's it's not you know it's not all space pick and roll. You know, you do have to run a lot of horns and you have to run a lot of floppy stuff and and even some flex. He's just a really strong two-way skilled kid, you know, um, it's, it's really as simple as that. You know, he's, he, he can shoot the three, he can pick pop, he can dunk on you. Uh, he can pass, he can post, um, and he's switchable, you know, um, I think Jabari Smith is terrific. He's 6'10", 210. I think Holmgren has the ceiling. Anybody who says that he's in Kevin Durant's, you know, stratosphere in terms of ceiling loses credibility for me immediately. Um, and that's nothing personal. Uh, that's nothing personal. It's just, it, it's, it's absurd. In my opinion, he's a hundred. Who's, who's your favorite pounds. out of those top quote unquote three guys that everybody has between Chet Paolo and Jabari. Who's like your favorite out of that group? Jabari. Um, okay. yeah, just, just, um, just uh, again, Tremendous skills. Not that Chet doesn't have those skills. I just, there's a lot of mellow in Chet, you know, um, and, and not like Syracuse, Denver mellow. Like, I feel like there's, a, there's some, um, you know, he's, he's mid post a lot, you know, he gets a lot of those touches. I don't know if he's a five, you know, mellow was like that three, four, but everybody knew he was a four except him. Um, you know, sort of toward his, the end of his run there in, in New York. But um, I just think, again, and again, you know, this is uh, where you end up and who you're paired with. Um, 
you know, but I, I just, to me, if you're asking me who's the best player here 10 years from now, I'm not sure really any of them are in the league. <laughs> it's just one of those drafts for me. Um, I think this is a great shooting guard draft. I think this is a great um, sort of depth point guard draft. Um, you know, but of those three, I would say Jabari. Fair enough. That was that was certainly a, a great answer, in, in my opinion, from Mr. Tommy D. And I would certainly thank him for his time that he got to come on the podcast a little bit, chop it up about A.J. Griffin. Certainly makes me feel a little bit better about where I'm at, as I hope he did for all of you listening out there. One more time, Tommy, why don't you plug where everybody can find you on social media, what you're doing with Modern NBA, everything you got going on. Yeah, I really appreciate the time. This is awesome. Uh, at Thomas CD on Twitter and at modern underscore MBA, uh, modernmba.com. Um, yeah, just, uh, you know, continuing to, um, you know, work on, uh, on sort of this, uh, this, this prototype and this concept that is um, showing out some real value here. And uh, it's, you know, it's funny because I empathize with, you know, programmers and and people who are you know coders and and who build things i've been a part of that world for quite a while now and um bringing a vision to life and actually having people touch it and use it and say this is great this is what i'm working on this is this actually fits you know um and helps me make decisions uh is so rewarding and um it's related to basketball which is even cooler so uh those folks find, uh, find me there and, um, you know, not doing as much content, but uh, happy to be here with you. And I uh, really appreciate the invite. Look forward to uh, doing this again. No, thank you. The, the pleasure's all mine for, for having you come on the podcast, Tommy. And certainly thank you as well to everybody out there listening to this episode of the Draft Deeper podcast. If you haven't already, make sure you are subscribed wherever you get your podcasts. Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube. You can follow me on Twitter at Draft Deeper. Make sure you're following No Ceilings on Twitter at no ceilings MBA and then you're subscribed to the Substack and no ceilings MBA.com. If you feel so inclined to not only support us in what we're doing, but also get something out of showing your support, AKA a draft guide that's jam packed with awesome information, 58 players worth. You can not only purchase that draft guide, but also some incredible merchandise at no ceilings, NBA.bigcartel.com. We appreciate everyone who's shown us some support already. And we cannot wait to, to see more people posting about our draft guide and some of the insights we've given and, and all the support we've received, not just from there, but also in so on social media, over the recent weeks. It's been absolutely incredible to see the outpour. So thank you everyone for supporting myself as well as the No Ceilings platform and more is coming. We got plenty more written content coming on the Substack. I have, I can promise you a buttload of podcasts coming on this feed. So certainly make sure you're subscribed and you're staying tuned to what I'm doing here over at Draft Deeper. But until then, thank you all for listening and I hope you all have a wonderful rest of your week.